Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info info@capitalchurch.co. Well, this is uh, one week from today is Easter. You're going to hear more about that at the end. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I have the privilege of speaking today. If you don't like what I say, you can come back next Sunday and hear the next next story with Chris. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to launch right into this. We're going to talk about Palm Sunday. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your anointing, your divine impartation. We pray now that you would fill our hearts with great grace and understanding, you would transform us. Let our thinking be like yours. And let us walk into a new revelation and insight into who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, they told me to keep it short. (laughs) That's really hard to do. I don't think I've ever had anything short, but I'll do my best. All right, we're going to talk about the Holy Week. I want you to go to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Uh, While we're doing that, I'd like to just give a shout-out to uh, uh, Rachel Flickle and the Dress for Success team who had their their, uh, gala, their annual gala last night, which they were raising money for Dress for Success, which, if you didn't know, is in our church. And it started 20 years ago with a vision coming out from people of this house, and uh, Rachel's continued that. They had an incredible turnout, and uh, I think they, they raised a lot of money to sustain this. Do you realize that over the last 20 years, they've served 6,000 women, which represents 15,000 children? And I just thought that was an amazing testimony to what we can do, Jesus, for the people. All right, Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside in the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing that colt? And they spoke to them, and just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Very key there. And so when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. How many of you love a parade? I don't know. I like parades. Every year I look forward to the Macy's Parade, which comes on TV and Thanksgiving morning, and I turn it on, and we tape it, and we watch it, and you know all the wonderful things. And uh, Everybody seems to like a, par- a parade, and most parades are about celebrations. Big celebrations call for big parades. And I remember uh, some of you probably heard the story of, uh, of the big parades 
uh, of, of our, uh, you know, the greatest generation when they returned from World War II and how they had parades for them, thousands and thousands of people. Um, and, you know, after every, every sports event in which there's a champion, NBA, NFL, MLB, you always have a parade in that city to note and celebrate who won, right? It's always a celebration. I, I remember, uh, do you know which, which was the uh, uh, largest and uh, the first actually big modern parade? It was held on October 29, 1927. It was in New York City when they welcomed Charles Lindbergh home after a solo fl flight across the Atlantic. 750,000 pounds of ticker tape fell uh, on that street that day. But the Lindbergh Parade was actually dwarfed by the giant celebration on March 1st, 1962. Guess what that was? 3,474 tons of confetti rained on a seven-mile stretch in New York City. They were there, it was all there to welcome John Glenn, the first American who orbited the Earth. I'll personally never forget the parade I saw I don't know if many, pe many people don't call it a parade. I do. It was the, the parade or the uh, funeral procession of President Kennedy in 1963. I'll never forget watching him go down Pennsylvania Avenue with the case on, the riderless horse. I'll never forget looking at the, the, the young widow and the two children and little John John saluting his father as he walked by. No one called it a parade, but it really was. And so we see all these kinds of parades in life, homecoming parades, holiday parades, Macy's Day Parade, Inaugural Parade, Rose, Rose Bowl Parade. Jesus, last week, begins with a parade. We call it the triumphal entry. But we don't realize the significance of that parade. See, everything that Jesus did was significant of something to come. And this was, this was a significant event. Now, I don't know if you know this, but one-third of the gospel narratives center around the last week of Jesus' life. From Palm Sunday to Easter, one-third of the gospels tell about it. Uh, if Jesus is emphasizing it that much, it must be pretty important. And so we see this, Jesus letting this happen. So, now, I'm going to tell you a little history so you can catch a significance about this, and then we're going to talk about it spiritually. Actually, on that spring day, in the year AD 30, there was two parades in Jerusalem. We saw one. We saw it in Mark chapter 11. But we, we, we don't know that there was one procession that was what we saw here. It was people, peasants, working class. But there was another procession which was an imperial procession. Now, from the east, going into Jerusalem, Jesus rides a donkey down the Mount of Olives, cheered by his followers. And Jesus was from this lowly peasant village of Nazareth, and his message was about the kingdom of God. And his followers came from every class of society. They had actually journeyed from from Galilee to Jerusalem, a hundred-mile a, a, a trip from the north. And Mark's story here of, of Jesus and the kingdom of God is actually the whole narrative of the book of Mark is aiming towards Jerusalem. 
It's coming to a confrontation. It's coming to an event that will magnify and exemplify what Jesus is talking about, what his kingdom is. And now it has arrived. On the opposite side of the city, there was another procession of parade. It came from the east. It was, now you probably don't know this, you probably heard the name Pontius Pilate. Well, Pontius Pilate, if you didn't know it, was leading a parade the same day from the east gate into Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. Jesus' uh, procession of parade proclaimed the kingdom of God. Pilate's parade proclaimed the power of empire. And the two processions, the two parades, highlight two different visions of the kingdom and the central conflict that week that actually led to Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate's military procession was a demonstration of both the Roman imperial power and Roman imperial theology. I would just start off right here. Do you know every government is trying to insert in your life theology? And you better know what your theology is. You better have the right worldview or you will be sold a bill of goods. I better not come go too far that side. I'll do another message on that. Now, here, the, the imperial procession of parade would have been well known by Mark and the, the first followers of Jesus. It was the standard practice of the Roman army and governors of Judah to be in Jerusalem for the major Jewish festivals or events. They did it out of reverence for the religion, but they also did it in case of trouble. So the mission of the troops was, was with Pilate was to reinforce the Roman garrison inside of Jerusalem called the Fortress Antonia, which overlooked the Jewish temple and all the courts. They and Pilate came from Caesarea uh, Maritima, which was called Caesarea on the Sea. It was actually, the, it was about 60 miles away, and it was like a, a uh, coastal paradise. And it was where Pilate and all the governors loved to stay. They didn't like Jerusalem because there always seemed to be turmoil and trouble. But they liked Caesarea by the sea. Now imagine this imperial procession arriving in the city. It was a visual demonstration of the glory and power of all of Rome. You've probably seen videos and, and uh, uh, movie depictions of this. A cavalry on horses and foot soldiers and leather armor and helmets and weapons and banners and, and golden eagles mounted on poles and sun glittering on the, all the metal and the, and the gold, the sounds of feet marching and, and drums beating and the creaking of leather and the rattling of the horses' bridles as they all enter the city. And as the parade arrived, there were the eyes of all these onlookers. They didn't know what to do. Some were curious, some were awed, some were resentful. But it's important to note that Pilate's procession or parade displayed not only imperial power, but also imperial theology. You see, now, stay with me. One parade brings one theology. The other parade brings another theology. The, the, Rome had its own religion, its own savior, its own theology, and its own demands. According to Roman theology, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome. He was considered the son of God. This began with the earliest of, of the emperors, Augustus, who ruled Rome from 31 uh, B.C. to 14 A.D. His father was considered the god Apollo. And inscriptions refer to him as son of God, 
Lord, Savior, and He is one who brings peace on earth. Wow, that sounds familiar. After his death, the story goes that he ascends into heaven and he takes his permanent place among the gods. Those who followed Augustus, all the emperors, continued to bear the same divine title, including Tiberius, who was the emperor at the time of Jesus moving into Jerusalem. Now, knowing this about how the people viewed the emperor, it's easy to see how Jesus and his kingdom would come into conflict. They weren't the same. What took place on that Sunday in Jerusalem, what was being shouted and illustrated would bring this conflict to a climax. It would take seven days to climax it, but it was coming. And just prior to Jesus entering into Jerusalem, several events occurred that highlight the impact and meaning of Jesus' ministry. We need to understand what Jesus was bringing, and we need to understand what he was opposing. So here's Jesus. Did you realize that just the, the event that happened in Mark chapter 10, just before he goes to Jerusalem, was the healing of a blind man named Bartimaeus at Jericho. After receiving his sight, Bartimaeus, the Bible says, followed him in the way. Now, you might think that in the way is just kind of a prepositional phrase that doesn't mean much. Oh, it means a lot in Scripture. You see, in the way, and Mark's gospel stresses this, what it means to follow Jesus in the way was the way always meant the way that led to Jerusalem, and which is the place of confrontation. It's the place where, where you achieve death and then resurrection. Do you know that you cannot enter the kingdom without death, burial, and resurrection? We saw it today. This is what that illustrates. And so we see this, this happening here in this, in this place. So this, this situation, he comes into this Jerusalem Bartimaeus is with him, and many of those who were healed in Jesus' ministry. The second event that occurred just prior to Jesus ending Jerusalem was really interesting. It was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It was, a, it was kind of a foreshadowing of what was about to come. And the, the way may bring death and resurrection and will for Jesus, but Jesus has power over death and the grave. Can you say amen? And we saw that illustrated Seven days later, as he entered, after he entered Jerusalem. So as Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, he oversees, Mount of Olives sits above, 230 feet above Jerusalem. And it would have been a powerful visual of, of the one who has the power of the grave. Because when they came down the Mount of Olives, they would have come right by a huge cemetery. Now, if I would have been Jesus, I would have just turned to the cemetery and says, rise up and follow me. The whole cemetery would have come alive. That's all he had to say. Now, he wasn't, I, I'm not Jesus, and praise God for that. And, but he comes down the Mount of Olives. So unsettling was this miracle of raising Lazarus among the Jewish leaders that from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. And the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kings of this world was actually coming to a head. We, we're also told in the book of John 
that the religious leaders plan on killing Lazarus as well. What did poor Lazarus do? He just got raised from the dead. And they want to kill him again. Why? Because they didn't like the signs of Jesus' kingdom. And it illustrated their powerlessness and his power. So we see this happening. Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Now let's turn to the story of Jesus. Return to it. So Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem from the east through Bethphage and Bethany which were villages on the slope of Mount, the Mount of Olives. Bethphage was where the Jericho Road ended. Bethany was a village that Jesus often visited because his very special friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, lived there. The Mount of Olives is prominent in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus walked the path of the Mount of Olives quite often. He spent many hours praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before the last hour. It was here in the Mount of Olives or in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be betrayed. It was here Jesus would ascend back to the Father after his resurrection. It is here Jesus would stand 230 feet above the Temple Mount and weep over the city as he foretold the judgment that would fall upon the people of Jerusalem. And it's there that Jesus will return. Now don't get too excited on me here. This is powerful. So from the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples before he he goes in Jerusalem on a mission to retrieve a colt. Now, I I studied this this week, and I thought, man, maybe I should just do a message on donkeys. It's powerful what what Jesus uh, did with this colt. Notice it's a colt. It's not just the donkey itself. This event has been called by many theologians a prearranged counter-procession or parade. While Pilate's procession of parade was one of power, glory, and violence of the empire that ruled the world, Jesus' procession pictured an alternative vision of the kingdom of God. And this contrast between the two kingdoms is the story of Jesus and early Christianity. So the confrontation between these two kingdoms continues through the whole last week. Everything you heard read today while we were in worship illustrated the last day or the last days of Jesus the last week and the week ends with Jesus crucifixion by the powers who ruled the world but God in his power reversed death and the kingdom of God prevailed that is why we celebrate Easter so when they brought the colt to Jesus they threw their cloaks over it and Jesus sat on it It was said that it was a colt that had never been ridden, but he sat on it. It was perfectly fine. Wow. If you want somebody to tame your horses, just call on Jesus, I guess. The colt was a humble animal, the animal of peace. Donkeys were animals of peace. It was the royal animal of the Jewish kings. And so we see there was two scriptures illustrating this. In in Isaiah 62, 11, it says in Isaiah 62:11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. And then Zechariah 9:9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then that day, as Jesus was entering the city on this colt, The people took palm branches out to meet Jesus, which is, of course, the source of our tradition of palm leaves. 
And this huge mass of people that day shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now this expression actually is reflected in a prayer in Psalm 118. This happened, you know, many years before. In Psalm 118, 25 through 26, it says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Hosanna actually means save now. Save now. Now, this is not, in this day, this is not so much a cry of praise. We do it with praise. But back then, they were crying out for God to break in and save them now that the Messiah had come. Now, not everyone was that happy and welcoming to Jesus entering the city. Not everyone was welcoming of the Savior. Luke's account, is, as Mark notated, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, would you just rebuke your disciples and tell them to shut up? Jesus said, well... I tell you, if I did that, the stones would cry out. I wish he would have just done it for a second so the stones would cry out. Guys, be quiet. Let's listen. Well, would that have been something? Well, some 200 years. Are you still with me? Some 200 years before this event, there was another triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was a foreshadowing of this event. Simon Maccabee, was a Jewish patriot who rose up against the evil ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes. And this man, this Antiochus, produced or introduced pagan worship and did everything in his power to stamp out the re Jewish religion and Jewish heritage. Under his rule, it was a very dark time in Israel. He made a decree that all of the Greek deities that he worshipped must be worshipped with sacrifices in every city and village in Israel. He deliberately profaned the temple in Jerusalem, offering the flesh of swine or pigs to the god Zeus on the holy altar. It was called the abomination of desolation that makes desolate that Daniel speaks of in Daniel chapter 11. Judas Maccabee and the other patriots reclaimed the temple, consecrated it once again, and they purified the holy place. Now, some 200 years later, another Jewish patriot arrives called Jesus. And as he enters the city, he comes to cleanse the temple once again. This is a man greater than Judah Maccabee. And the people are waving their palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the Bible says when Jesus entered the city, the whole city was stirred. It had nothing to say about Pontius Pilate. The whole city was stirred. People were asking, who is this? The crowds responded that it was Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But can I say he's a little bit more than a prophet? He was the king. And with him came his kingdom of peace. So Jesus entered the gates, went in Jerusalem, and if you, if you read the story, if you listened to when I read it and you saw it on the screen as it, it was read today, he entered the city of Jerusalem, and where does he go? He goes to the temple to view it. Check it out. He didn't do anything on Sunday. 
the first day of the week. But the next day, he comes back on Monday, and he turns over the money changers in the temple to cleanse the temple, much like Judah Maccabee did 200 years earlier. You see, Jesus entered, reviewed the temple, and it will be significant as cleansing our temples. So here's the implications. I want to close in the next few minutes here. Are you still with me? Here's the implications of this. Jesus wanted to clearly symbolize his kingship. He wanted to let everybody know that he was king. But he was a different kind of a king. Now you have to understand this. Everything in the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It's upside down, or should I say, right side up. Everything. If you want to have life, you have to experience death. If you want to receive, you have to give. And the, and, and, and the list goes on. And the colt that he rode on that day was the symbol of Jewish kings. The shouts of praise were indicative of a, of a coming king. The very fact that he entered Jerusalem in this procession was fitting of a king. And then, number two, Jesus defined the kind of king that he was. The colt was an animal of peace. I imagine Pontius Pilate came on the, the, the whitest and biggest steed he could find. And he had all his soldiers around, and he'd come in with power and authority. Jesus comes in to bring peace on the donkey of peace. Wow. It's powerful. Now here, let me just, i got, I got to get you to, to think this way. What we battle in life is we always want to come in and rule our circumstances, and rule it with manipulation and domination. Jesus says that's not the way to do it. You enter into life with his principles and characteristics with peace. The whole world is shouting for peace, but the only one who can bring it is Jesus. The, uh, the world looks to, to bring peace by domination, by, by war, by by overcoming others. Jesus comes in to transform lives to bring them peace. And so we must understand that this kingdom is counterculture, counterintuitive. It's so, it's so different than we think, and we've got to change our thinking. That's why Chris has been talking about your thinking process, thoughts and things. Change your thinking so you can change your behavior. And so our thoughts need to be right in what he's saying. Here, here is Jesus, the king of peace. The, the theology of Rome was forced upon the people. You worship the Roman deities at the point of a sword. It was peace through force. Jesus doesn't come in to force anybody. He comes in to draw us to his presence. You see, they came in with power. Jesus always comes with his presence. Jesus' kingdom would not be established by force. His followers had palm branches, not swords. And still today, Jesus compels us to come and love him, to get to know him, but he respects our free will. Jesus would actually bring true salvation. The, the third thing, people were actually divided on Jesus. Some in the crowd, no doubt, this is what was, they were looking for, and unfortunately, this is what people are looking for today. People are looking for a political salvation, a deliverance by force, a patriotic Messiah similar to Judas Maccabee. 200 years early who could come and make things right. But Jesus wasn't coming to make 
the political landscape right. He was coming to make the spiritual landscape right so that indeed he could make what was his governing power work. There was a mass political revolution going on. And to understand Palm Sunday, we need to understand this rising fervor. And can I say this today? I, there, our, the governments of this world are all about power. And if you watch news and TV enough, you can all, that's all you see is people spouting their power and their desire to hurt someone and get rid of someone and do this and do that. Jesus comes in to bring peace, peace in the heart. That's why I just love going into D.C. and walking into those people who just had fights on the hill and going to their offices and we start praying and worshiping and all of a sudden they start crying and weeping and falling before the Lord. Because it's not by power, it's by the Spirit and by His presence. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Would you stop trying to manipulate and dominate your, your situations, your circumstances? You need to surrender to God. Hop on the donkey of peace and go into your kingdom in the right way. Go into your city in the right way. This, this has to do with every area of our lives. Now, excuse my language here, but Edward Marquardt, I'm quoting this man. He says about Jesus and the hopes of the people. He said, the people had wanted a warrior on a war horse, and instead they got a carpenter on a jackass. And so they killed him and put a poster above his head, King of the Jews. It was a joke to them. Some were probably curious and wanted to see Jesus perform some miracles. They heard about him. They, they were looking for a Houdini in Holy Land. Jesus isn't going to come in a political sense, nor is Jesus going to come as the Houdini in the Holy Land. Jesus entered Jerusalem with a direct assault and confrontation with the Roman authorities and imperial religion so he could establish his kingdom, and his kingdom will rule forever. You will only experience peace in Jesus. And it's counterintuitive. It's just opposite of what you think. That's why you have to read Scripture. That's why you have to make your mind align with Scripture and God's Word. That's why Jesus enters Jerusalem and says all these things that we would think, why would a, why would a Messiah be doing this? I thought he's supposed to take over everything. Yeah, Jesus comes to take over, but in a different way comes to take over your life if you will allow him. In other words, you know what it has to do with? It has to do with surrender. We've got to start surrendering. If, we, if, we, if we're singing holy, 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 that means we've surrendered. If we haven't surrendered, you really can't say holy, holy, holy. So this story, and I close with this, this story rep, uh, actually presents us with an inescapable question. Which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you in? Are you in the Pontius Pilate emperor coming in? We're going to take over. We're going to do this. Now, I'm talking about even in your life. I'm talking about your situations. I'm talking about your relationships with people. I'm talking about your business situations. You, you can't just do things by twisting people's arms. You've got to be a person of prayer, of peace, of joy, of righteousness. Then God will turn things around. That's how he's going to do it. So am I that? Am I in the kingdom that seeks power, or am I, and, and am I in the kingdom that wants religious miracles for my own benefit, or am I in the kingdom of Jesus? 
the kingdom of peace, the kingdom that, lead, the kingdom that leads more often to death, but eventually to resurrection. The kingdom of suffering and tribulation at times, the kingdom of inconvenience rather than comfort, the kingdom led by a simple carpenter from Nazareth, not Imperial Rome. And this is the Jesus who said, follow me in the way and I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus wants to take you into your Jerusalem. He wants you to encounter your authorities that are assaulting you. But it won't be the way you think. Have you ever noticed that as you, as you perceive situations and you think, oh, this is the way it's going to turn out. Have you ever noticed it hardly ever turns out that way? That's why Jesus doesn't work in, on your timetable, time on, uh, on the way you think. He does things differently, and he comes in kind of round the back, and he comes in and he turns things around, and you think, wow, that just turned out really good. Yeah, because Jesus did it. If you would have put your hand to it and pushed and dominated and forced, it wouldn't have happened. Are you catching this message today? We've got to enter Jerusalem the right way we got to get in the right parade route. Don't come in from the east gate. Let's go to the west gate with Jesus. Enter in this, it's almost an impromptu parade. People started standing up and shouting and cheering. Jesus, Hosanna, save now! But they didn't realize what they were crying out for. Jesus was there to save more than just their political situation. He was there to save their spiritual lives. Amen.